0: Wells Fargo has failed a key regulatory test for the second time this year. The bank was unable to persuade regulators that it could unwind its business in the event of a bankruptcy without posing a threat to the broader financial system. Wells Fargo is the only major bank whose so-called living will did not get a passing grade. The backdrop is that President-elect Donald Trump has pledged to dismantle Dodd-Frank, and Republicans like Texas Congressman Jeb Hensarling are already working on that – warning Outgoing Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Mary Jo White not to issue any new rules during the lame duck period.
1: I would strongly urge you to respect the results of last week's election and resist the temptation to finalize any regulations, including Dodd-Frank Title VII regulations in deference to the right of the incoming administration to set its own priorities...
0: But Democrats like New York Senator Chuck Schumer say there is no way Trump will dismantle Dodd-Frank. When he's opposed to our values, we're going to go after him tooth and nail. For instance, we're not going to let him repeal Dodd-Frank or the the rules we put in place to limit Wall Street. They're going to regret the day they tried to repeal the ACA. Wells Fargo says it's committed to bringing its living will up to regulators' expectations by the next deadline on March 31st. Our guests are David Cass, professor at the University of Maryland Law School, and Michael Criminger, partner at Cleary Gottlieb and a former general counsel of the FDIC. David, four other banks were given failing grades on their living wills in April. Does it surprise you that Wells Fargo, one of the strongest banks during the financial crisis, was the only one not able to pass?
2: Yes, I, I found that extremely surprising, since uh, Wells has the reputation uh, for being one of the best managed banks in the country, along with J.P. Morgan Chase, for example. And it's very surprising. I think it will be actually relatively easy and doable for Wells to meet this requirement at the next deadline at the end of March of 2017. But it was a big surprise.
3: Michael, what are the consequences of this finding to, to Wells Fargo?
1: Well, Wells Fargo did uh, by having uh, not pass the step, if you will, uh, for October 1st, does have a couple of limitations. But um, to the prior point, I mean, I think these are uh, issues that they can address. uh, They're primarily uh, analysis and providing additional rigor for their analysis, for their resolution plans. But the the constraints on them really were just not being able to acquire foreign banks or branches or non-bank subsidiaries until they remedy these. So I think these are things that can be resolved.
0: David, the living will's test is a key element of Dodd-Frank. Will you explain its importance?
1: Um,
2: yes. The, uh, basically, within uh, Dodd-Frank, uh, the living will was set up, in effect, uh, to uh, set up a mechanism so that banks will not need to be bailed out in the next financial crisis or severe recession, uh, U.S. taxpayer money uh, would not have to be used to bail out the banks. And the living will is to set up a procedure in which banks could uh, systematically or individually uh, unwind in a way that uh, they, if they had to go through bankruptcy, uh, go through the proceeding in a way that they would not require any public funds at all.
3: And Michael, is that law, does this does what happened yesterday suggest that that law, that system is working as intended?
1: No, I think it does. I mean, there's been a lot of progress over the last few years, and I think sometimes uh, things we hear uh, out in the marketplace uh, imply that uh, these uh, the living wills are not particularly helpful, and that there have been some failures. But you know, there's any. This is a new process. It was something that regulators had to learn how to do, and it's something the banks have had to learn how to do. I mean, I, I helped put together the rules for the living wills, and I'll say that one of the primary lessons coming out of the financial crisis was that there needed to be pre-planning, and that's really what they are. And the fact that uh, Most of these banks, the vast majority of the banks that they were looking at, Uh, This time, uh, we're able to address their deficiencies and we're able to move forward. uh, And the fact that Wells Fargo's deficiencies themselves are really more of analytical and following up on some of the analytical steps that they've already taken, I think should uh, give people a lot of comfort that there has been a lot of progress. This is not an event. It's uh, something that's a longer-term process, and you're not going to take these living wheels, pull them off the shelf, and just implement them. They're going to be things that people are going to learn from and develop ongoing.
0: During his campaign, President-elect Donald Trump promised to dismantle Dodd-Frank and was highly critical of Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen. We have a Fed that's doing political things, this Janet Yellen. Does this put Trump on a collision course with Yellen, who has spoken and acted in support of Dodd-Frank? I certainly would not want to see all the improvements that we have put in place I wouldn't want to see the clock turn back on those because I do, I do think they're important in diminishing the odds of another financial crisis. And today, the Fed governors, led by Yellen, voted five to nothing to lay down new requirements requiring the eight biggest U.S. banks to build cushions against losses to reduce the chances of future taxpayer bailouts. We've been talking with David Cass, professor at the University of Maryland Law School, and Michael Kriminger, a partner at Cleary Gottlieb. Michael, is this vote by the Fed governors a sort of in-your-face to Trump and the Republicans?
1: Well, I'm certainly not going to get into uh, any of the political issues involved. Uh, I think what uh, I would just say that the voting on the total loss-absorbing capacity, which is what they voted on today, is, is definitely a, an additional step in trying to make the financial system more resolvable and the large financial institutions more resolvable. Uh, it's really just kind of a progressive step that's been part of the process uh, over many years uh, since the financial crisis uh, involving the U.S. and many other countries. So uh, the total loss-absorbing capacity is, in fact, an important element uh, to try to get that right.
0: So it's a strengthening of of the system that Dodd-Frank supports.
1: I think it's a strengthening of the system in terms of ensuring that the companies would be more likely to be resolvable if there ever a crisis in the future. Because what it allows would be the large financial companies, if they got into trouble, to be able to recapitalize themselves using debt that was already issued out to the market. So it's really making sure that the private sector market participants would be funding any need to recapitalize rather than the public.
3: David, I want to go back to something that Michael said uh, a little while ago when when he suggested that that Wells Fargo wouldn't have too much difficulty uh, dealing with these deficiencies. Wells Fargo's stock took a bit of a hit uh, immediately after the day after uh, this announcement came out. Do you agree that it will be uh, 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 as simple as Michael seems to suggest it is uh, for Wells Fargo to fix this?
2: yes on um, the living will failing the living will test uh... should be very easy uh... for wells fargo to fix and indeed uh... the initial reaction to wells fargo stock as you mentioned on the first day of the news the stock went down roughly two percent uh... but now it's recovered pretty much that two percent over the next day of trading so virtually an unchanged stock price so the market is largely discounting uh, any negative significance or major negative significance uh, from this news.
0: Michael, the Republicans have been talking for quite a while about dismantling Dodd-Frank, and there is movement there. What are the chances that they will be able to dismantle Dodd-Frank or sections of it?
1: Well, I think there's certainly a lot of interest in the Republican caucus, both in the Senate and the House, to make some changes. And you know, to be quite honest, uh, Dodd-Frank was a, is a very large uh, expansive law, and uh, any large expansive law typically would have some mid-course corrections as you see areas that could be improved or that might, might not be needed. And so I think some mid-course corrections would be very important. I, I also think that there are some elements of Dodd-Frank and that uh, are probably important to retain, uh, but there are certainly some that I think you You could probably find a consensus probably among a lot of Democrats as well, uh, although I certainly can't speak for anybody on either side of the aisle, that would uh, find some uh, mid-course corrections appropriate. Unfortunately, we've just not been able to do those up to this date.
3: David, what's your take on that? Are we going to see some just uh, small adjustments to Dodd-Frank, or is there a real possibility we'll see uh, the whole thing thrown out?
2: Well, I think – that there'll be an effort made to make major changes to it. Uh, I don't believe the entire legislation uh, itself will be thrown out. Uh, There is is a consumer protection component in it, along with Wall Street reform. Uh, But I think uh, the incoming administration, uh, with a Republican Congress, uh, will probably make major changes to it. Uh, deregulation is uh, one of the main goals of this new administration. I think Dodd-Frank will be altered to a large extent.
0: Michael, could a deregulatory shift of the Trump administration be forgetting the lesson of the last crisis and be opening us up to something that we don't want to go through again?
1: Well, I think there's no question that uh, some of the provision, the provision of Dodd-Frank was certainly designed to help address some of the issues in the last crisis. Uh, there's also no question, as I mentioned, that there there would be some corrections that would be uh, appropriate uh, to the law as well. Uh, I mean, I think we don't want to go back to the completely to the pre-crisis era where you didn't have, for example. Uh, Some of the protections that are in place now, there's been a lot of additional capital. The institutions are holding much greater capital, much greater liquidity resources. Uh, I think having the resolution planning process having gone forward to a substantial degree has made them more resolvable. Uh, And I don't really think, from what I've seen, that there are – I think there are a lot of areas – like that, that uh, I think uh, people on both sides of the aisle probably would support continuing. Uh, certainly there would be adjustments to them, and I don't, don't disagree with the prior speaker at all or the professor that uh, there certainly would be an intent to make some very substantial changes, and we'll just have to see how they, uh, how they roll out.
3: David how well has the banking industry adjusted to Dodd Frank has it uh, are we now to the point that it's it's more or less taking it uh, in course or uh w- would there be significant relief for the industry if if some of the burdens were were lifted under the Trump administration
2: Well the banking industry has done fairly well uh, it certainly has survived the crisis and one uh can just look at the behavior of the common stock of the leading bank companies: uh, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Citigroup, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, several of them are at certainly uh, 12-month highs, or multi-year or all-time highs. Uh, part of the uh, of good health, you might say, looking forward uh, for the banking stocks is the very likely uh, upward path of interest rates. Uh, which has begun, and certainly with the Federal Reserve uh, just yesterday, announcing a quarter-point increase in the Federal Funds rate. The increase in interest rates over time produce a wider profit margin for the banks. This is being anticipated and will uh, make their in- investing in those companies more attractive. So the banks, I think, have pretty well adjusted. Uh, to the regulations. I think they're doing pretty well. Well, of course, at the time of the crisis, there was a very uncertain outlook, uh, but I think they've adjusted pretty well.
0: And, Michael, in just about a minute, we're talking about the $70 billion short in building up this cushion of funds on the Federal Reserve passing uh, regulation today. Will the Wall Street banks have a problem raising that?
1: I think you know, the market certainly, I think, will be open for that type of debt raising. I would just note in particular that uh, as calculated by the Federal Reserve in its announcement of the final rule, uh, that $70 billion, of course, is much lower than the $120 billion uh, aggregate shortfall that were estimated based upon the proposed rule. So there were some uh, important uh, you know, positive developments in the final rule. We're still, of course, looking at it. It just was released a couple of hours ago, and it comes to about uh, 209 pages, so uh, we're still looking at it. But I would the aggregate shortfall is definitely a lot lower than it
0: was. We'll give you a, a, a few more hours to look through those 209 <laughs> pages. Thank you. That's Michael Kriminger. He's a partner at Cleary Gottlieb and David Kass, professor at the University of Maryland Law School. Thank you both for being on Bloomberg Law. Coming up, we're going to be talking about a judge being able to stop a newspaper from printing a confidential complaint in a child custody case. That's what's called a prior restraint. AND IT'S SOMETHING THE SUPREME COURT HAS RULED AGAINST TIME AND TIME AGAIN. WE'LL BE TALKING TO CONSTITUTIONAL LAW EXPERT EUGENE Volokh. THAT'S COMING UP. I'M JUNE GROSSLER WITH GREG STORE. THIS IS BLOOMBERG.